0: This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego.
1: Welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, over at phyllisschlafly.com, phyllisschlafly.com, you will find a list of every single of the 20, the Freedom 20, they're calling them, the people who stood up to the speaker fight last week and uh, got a lot of grief. And I posted that over there so that you can go ahead and and do what I invited you to do, which is to uh, thank them, thank them. And uh, the way to do that is to take a minute. It'll probably take, I'd say it takes three to five minutes per person. So you're talking about, you got to do it over a couple of days, three, let's say it's five minutes per person times 20, a hundred minutes. It's a couple hours, almost two hours, but you need to do it. You need to thank the 20 by calling the number. I've got the numbers there and saying Thank you, leave your name. It doesn't matter if you're from where you're from here's the Here's the twenty Andy Biggs Dan Bishop Andy Biggs of Arizona, Dan Bishop of North Carolina, Lauren Bobert of Colorado, Josh Breachin of Oklahoma, Mike Cloud of Texas Andrew Clyde of Georgia, Eli Crane of Arizona, Byron Donalds of Florida Matt Gates of Florida Bob Good of Virginia Paul Gosar of Arizona Andy Harris of Maryland Anna paulina Luna of Florida Mary Miller. I think Mary Miller of Illinois. That's right. Ralph Norman of South Carolina. Andy Ogles of Tennessee. Scott Perry of Pennsylvania. Matt Rosendale of Montana. Chip Roy of Texas. Keith South of Texas. Call them and thank them. If you want a copy of this, send me an email, uh, ed at com, and I will send you the list. I'll put it up on social media. It's important for us to thank folks for what they did to make sure that they know that it's that important uh to do that, to uh, that it's that important to us. It does not matter, as I've said over and over. What you need to know is uh, Speaker McCarthy is the first digital speaker, meaning he is speaker because there was able to be this public display, this public hashing out, and the 20 folks that stood up and said, I want it to be a better process, I want it to be a better system, I want things to work better, they were only able to do that and succeed because there was the digital possibilities. There was social media. There was email. There was cable TV. It was a different world in the old days. And this happened this time. In the old days, you get a couple of phone calls from grand poobahs in the Republican Party, donor types, uh, leader types, and you just realize, oh, it's better to you know walk away now and cut a deal later. Now these guys and gals were be were be uh, were emboldened because they weren't beholden. To any of those poobahs, think about that. That's pretty good. The, t- the The Freedom Twenty were emboldened instead of beholden to the poobahs. They were emboldened by the grassroots instead of being beholden to the grass tops. That's the difference maker here. And it had to do with social media. It had to do with C-SPAN being on the ground. It was awesome. It was awesome. And so uh, congratulations to the 20 and you and me. We all need to take the time to send a message to say thank you. That's only going to happen by taking the time And and literally making the phone calls. If you've got email addresses, fine. But I can tell you a phone call, what you do is call up, call the numbers. I got the numbers right there. Call up and say, hey, Congressman Andy Biggs, just want to say, this is Ed Martin. I want to thank you for what you're doing. I live in Missouri, but I love what you did. I'm going to spread the word. You're great. Thank you. And here's my phone number. Here's my snail mail address. And here's my email address. And when you do that, they're going to get data on you, which they love. And you shouldn't care. You should want them to have that because they've earned it. They've earned it. They deserve it. They, they've earned it. They deserve it and give it up because because of us, because of you, because of your phone calls, they will be emboldened to do the right thing. The fight's not over. Because they're not beholden to the poobahs. They're not beholden to the money guys. They're not beholden to the RNC. They're not beholden to the Republican leaders in their home state. Like the, the, the insiders, the establishment, they're not beholden to any of the poobahs. They're emboldened by the grassroots. They're not, they're not beholden to the grass tops. They're emboldened by the grassroots. So that's something you and I can do and we have to do it. We have to do it because it makes a big difference. It will make a bigger difference, and it's what's going on. So the Freedom 20, the Freedom 20, you want to get on there and say thank you to them uh and their list. Um, it is great. Um, it's great. So very cool deal. All right, do that. And uh like I said, email me, Ed, at com if you want a copy of all that, and we'll get it to him. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Time to catch up with John Schlafly. John Schlafly's column runs over at townhall.com. Uh, each Tuesday evening it posts kind of depending on how early he gets it in on the, on that day, uh, t- townhall.com, but also available archived at phyllisschlafly.com. John and Andy Schlafly do the weekly Schlafly Report. This week's, uh, t- title is New House Can Stop Weaponized Prosecutions. Um, John, welcome back. How are you?
2: Uh, good, Ed. Great to be with you.
1: So I don't want to sound cynical, but I can't help it today. I'm a little grumpy now. I don't know what happened yesterday. I was more optimistic. But why isn't it um, likely that all the talk of things like special committees and a church committee? Tell me why you think it it may be different this time, because even newt gingrich when they did the contract for america they did vote on i think nine out of ten of the top priorities that they had i don't think they voted on one of them i forget which one but but i mean you know a lot of them didn't pass a lot of them were um for show the idea of actually taking up uh oversight in a way to check on uh the doj and others that seems like real work why is that going to happen in this case
3: well, it
2: is real work and uh, and there 's no question that there will be impediments every step of the way and uh, but i but I was encouraged that uh, the other side is raising a hue and cry. About these plans, is if they're concerned about it. So, if they're concerned, that's good news. But uh, of course, the church committee occurred when the Democrats had a large majorities in both houses of Congress. Now, the Republicans only have a very narrow, slim majority in only one house of Congress. So, their power isn't as great as it was then so everyone will have to stick together and move forward with this but uh, with jim jordan in charge i'm encouraged that something could be done jim jordan has been really has prepared his life for this moment and i think that i think we're in for a spectacle and some progress now you know, the liberals are warning that the Justice Department will simply stonewall the investigation and refuse to cooperate and claim that the House has no authority to investigate the investigators. But we've got 2 coequal branches of government, and uh, we may run into an impasse, which would be good for Americans.
1: Uh we're talking with John Schlafly. Um John is it um I, again is your optimism in this case based on uh the fact that you believe um Personnel is policy, that you got some different people that are in, in place that will live up to it. By the way, I do think I do I w- I want to highlight there's a Schlafly secret that's playing out here uh, in this column because the Schlaflys are generally, um, a bunch of them are wrestlers. I know uh, your brother Bruce's family, I think, was big into wrestling especially. So there's reference to, uh, what is it, the fireman's carry? I can't admit that I understood what this was until I read your column, but there's some inside. It looks like inside. Kind of a tip of the hat to the uh, family that wrest the wrestling in the family, but uh, is is that is that what it is? Personnel is policy. Jim Jordan is the guy to do
2: it. Well, a little in a small way, but uh, of course Jim Jordan was a champion wrestler. I mean, he all the way through high school and college, and he won the state championship. So I mean that's really big. And then he coached after that. So I mean wrestling. I mean, Jordan. You know, that's yes. sir well, a no. Lot you you that. missed that.
1: You may, wait. You misstated that he didn't win the high school. You said state champion. He won the NCAA, the national championship. He was a national uh, uh, champion. I think they won. Uh, they won the. Um, I think. No, I think he did. He was a two-time NCAA. That's the top of the heap. I mean, high school is impressive, but and, and you know, Ohio State is pretty good. Uh, Iowa, Pennsylvania, good states. But to win an NCAA Division One wrestling championship is uh, that's as good as it gets.
2: Yeah. Well, right. So, uh, and by the way, Jim Jordan and his, and his wife were supporters of Phyllis Schlafly from a uh, long ago before he we ever went to Congress, I might mention. I checked the records to confirm that. And uh, we have a lot of confidence in Jim Jordan that he now has, you know, the man is meeting the moment. I think he's determined to get this done and to take it as far as he can
1: the um the I did like this one by the way, I know that this was something that you you wrote about one other time that um the house could uh pass resolutions of pardon um that's i I think it's somewhat controversial right first of all you yeah. could definitely they could definitely do that on uh the ones like Bannon and Navarro who were sort of resolutions of contempt against the house the house could this this house could say we don't want that stand down but uh uh tell me about that a little bit more, John.
2: Well, it's untested, but uh, it's you know we need to think outside the box here, and certainly with Steve Bannon, who's already been convicted for contempt of Congress, uh, that would be step one to have the House uh, uh, essentially. Uh, well, do for Bannon what uh, the Justice Department tried to do for uh, General Flynn, which was to simply withdraw and release the charge, and that would force the court to dismiss it hmm. that 's now as we if you recall with uh, General Flynn, he fell into the clutches of a utterly biased judge who ought to be impeached and removed from the bench, honestly, uh, for his misconduct in the General Flynn case. You know, I don't know if uh, I've just praised Jim Jordan, but I'm not sure he's really up to doing that. But uh, he could do that (laughs) and he should consider it.
1: Yeah.
2: I mean, Judge uh... Emmett Sullivan has has a long list of what I would call misconduct that would call for his impeachment from the bench. And that is what he did to General Flynn is certainly a big example of that.
1: I was talk with John Schlafly, who writes the weekly Schlafly column with his brother, Andy. Uh, John, I was in the uh, I was in the room the other day with um, Congressman Chip Roy, and he described how uh, the 20 original uh, sort of um, dissenters, the rebels that in the House uh, that were going against Speaker uh, McCarthy, how they really got things. They succeeded in getting uh extracting concessions and then chip roy said we uh knew when to take yes for an answer uh how do you how do you look back at that experience i mean i think um watching for four days um i, I don't know if it was now and that it's happened it doesn't feel like it was that uncertain but i think in the midst of it it certainly i guess it was more than not but what's your what's your take on uh last week on the the uh the 20 uh that stood up and, and what happened
2: well, just a perspective on this, you know, and they were only 20 out of the 221 Republicans. I mean, uh, and for such a small minority, really, of the conference, I think they got they achieved quite a lot. Um, but they represented the, the last mile, so to speak, the last... Gap that Kevin McCarthy needed to close to become speaker, and they I think they played their posi- they played their hand well to use a, you know, a card metaphor.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and it certainly I guess um, it, lo- it, it, it feels and looks like there's more. Um there is more, uh, real participation coming, right? I mean, it looks like there's going to be, uh, some, you know, amendment processes and different things that are going to go on. Um, again, John, uh, how do we not fall into a, a position where, um, the, the expectation doesn't match the reality? I mean, that's one of the things that feels like since November when the election was supposed to be better, better, and it wasn't, people were really shook by that, I think. And sometimes, you know, setting up that, hey, this is going to be great and it turns out it's not great or it's only half great, uh, that might be worse.
2: Well, Ed, in politics, as you know, nothing is ever over. And uh, all the Republicans have, all the 20 heroes had, was to create an opportunity for themselves. But they still have to follow through and carry out and actually execute what they now have the opportunity to do, and there's much, much work to be done, starting today. Uh, and I was just checking C-SPAN just, you know, just today. Ed, and they brought to the fore a very important bill, which unfortunately will never you know they, they won 't probably won 't get through the Senate, but it 's well worth doing, which is to uh, it 's to protect infants who are born alive and mm-hmm. An attempt who survive an attempted at abortion. I mean, how long have we been talking about this? Mm-hmm. Uh, ever, you know, decades really, and it's still not in the law, and it needs to be in the law. And that is, that whole issue needs to be brought front and center. That when, because we remember the former governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, who is, you know, and how he callously and coldly explained what really happens to an unwanted child who accidentally survives an abortion. And, you know, we just can't let that happen in America. We have to provide care and feeding and medical care to infants who survive an abortion, as well as infants who are born in the ordinary course.
1: Uh, one last question, John. We're talking with John Schlafly. Writes his weekly column over at uh, philischlafly This week is new house can stop weaponized prosecution. There's a lot of there there, but when you write these columns, I know because I'm uh, I'm a witness to and sometimes uh, editorial uh, uh, presence as you as you do these on Monday and Tuesday, you can't you can't get catch everything uh, in there. Um, this story about Joe Biden and the Chinese communist regime funding his institute, or at least funding the University of Pennsylvania, and now suddenly a bunch of documents what do you make of it is is this is this one of these situations it's kind of what i think that um now that the democrats see it happening to their guy uh, it's going to sort of make the trump uh document case go away too it's like uh you know this is this is these are top level executives when they leave they may take some stuff with them and now nothing to see here uh is it more than that what's your what's your take on that story
2: well, the the left is trying to say that, that this is uh, nothing and it's nowhere near as bad as Trump because there were supposedly – we don't know for sure how many, but there were supposedly only 10 documents. That's not confirmed, by the way. But actually, the Biden case is much worse than Trump for for two very important reasons. One is that Biden wasn't the president. Trump was the president. That's exactly. a big difference right there. Trump had the power over classification. Biden did not. Uh, but the bigger, but the even bigger thing is that Biden apparently put documents in the hands of a Chinese funded, Chinese controlled so called think tank that was set up to launder Joe Biden's reputation after he left the White House. And uh, this was funded by ano- millions of dollars of anonymous contributions from somebody in China. We don't even know who. And. Uh, No one knows who has really had access to those documents, uh, top-secret documents, uh, but, you know, that ought to disqualify uh, the person responsible for service in the U.S. government, and that... We need to get to the bottom of that, as people like to say, and that should take the. Oh, you know, that certainly should take the burden off the nonsense about the at Mar-a-Lago, which ought to be dismissed, totally dismissed.
1: Well, John, you you will appreciate because I know your uh, length of years. Uh, John McLaughlin, the great McLaughlin Group host, and he used to go around and say, and he would say, "What do you think? What do you think?" And he would say, "Wrong or right? Well, you got the half right, John. The story of the Biden documents." is not the hypocrisy it's the chinese communists that's right you got that right who have been shown to be at the highest level of government uh, a part of infiltrating what's happening. Good night, everybody. That's my McLaughlin group. It's the best I can do. But okay. wrong. But uh, but that's right. I, I'm with you, by the way. And I don't see any coverage of it. The, how does the Chinese give millions and millions of dollars and have access to Joe Biden's papers? And then we're not talking about the uh, Hunter Biden uh, investments in China. I mean, again, it, it close your eyes and make it the Soviets uh, from 15. Well, okay, 25 years ago, and we have a major scandal, and we've got you know Paul Kengor writing four or five. Five, uh, volumes on the subject of communist infiltration and the and the biden papers and here we are the sitting president is kind of us uh, is saying well i'm surprised they found that so all right john i gotta run though unfortunately you're taking all my time john schlafly everybody the column runs over at phyllis com, and you can check it out there thank you john as always we will talk uh, check in next week with john schlafly i'll be right back everybody ed martin here on the pro america report back in a moment Welcome back, welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Well, my uh, listeners that have been uh, with me a while know that John Cribb is an author who I enjoyed immensely. His book, Old Abe, I've talked about it for years, uh, uh, published over by uh, Republic book publishers, Al Regnery, Eric Campman. They do a great job. A lot of a lot of books, a lot of different things going on. And for years, we've been talking, uh, John Cribb, about the fact that they needed to do let you do another book. And so there you have it. You've been working on it. And the book is called The Rail Splitter. It's a novel of Abraham. Lincoln just like old Abe old Abe was a novel historical novel It's fantastic moves along great and this one is the rail splitter I have in my uh, hands an advanced reading copy so I've been through it it comes out on January 24th and you can get a copy in time for uh, any of your Lincoln celebrations so welcome back John Cribb Uh, thank you for writing the second book and I hope you're doing well
3: Hey Ed, thanks for having me on. And I remember talking to you uh, more than once probably when I, when you said you gotta do you gotta do the yeah, prequel yeah, to all Abe. right, you
1: gotta do it. And and, and that's where, and that's right. So tell me, do it for me. Um on the uh I'm I'm in my old Abe is at home. Um I'm at the office and so um the, the rail splitter goes from uh summer of eighteen twenty six all the way through eighteen fifty nine, right? So old Abe was from was it from right in 18, early eighteen sixty on, yes,
3: right? right? So yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Old Day picks up in May of 1860. So this okay. book uh, takes you right up to when Old age begins. It, it starts him out as a teenager on the Indiana frontier, and then you know we're we're at his side every page as he makes his way from the woods of Indiana to the prairies of Illinois, and then you know to the the verge of running for president. So we're you know we're with him when he splits all those hundreds and hundreds of logs to make. Fence rails and yeah, split yeah. rail fences and rafts down the Mississippi River and meets Mary Todd and, you know, rises in the world of politics and then uh, and then steps onto the national stage for the first time in those great Lincoln-Douglas debates of 1858. And then the rails ends not long after those debates when he's just about to launch his uh, campaign for the presidency.
1: Well, and so, John, first, a, a, a book writing um, uh, question, and you, you're a lawyer and, and a varied career, but now you've written two you know, serious historical novels, uh, a lot of work. What's your lesson at this point? I mean, how did it go? How did this one go? How did you find the writing of it? Uh, I'll give you my observation after you tell me about uh, what I saw as a, a, a change. But what did
3: you experience? Okay, yeah, please do. Uh, well, first of all, I should say, for better or worse, I'm not an attorney. I did work at the Justice Department oh, during the Reagan administration. Oh, but I—that's better. That's better. Yeah, I was going to be an attorney, but working at the Justice Department <laughs> oh, department good. made me uh, see the light on, on that one. You, there you go. Good. But um, yeah, I I loved doing this book. I love the historical research. Um, in a lot of ways, I find this to be the most fascinating part of his uh, his life. Um, it's a different kind of book, as, as, as you know, um, in, in several ways. But. Um, the, the writing, um, I think, uh, well, well, to be honest, th- a lot of the research for this book took place before, uh, the research from Old Abe, because I, I, sort of researched his life in chronological order. Um, so oh, that see. came, that came first. And a lot of the writing took place at the same time that Old Abe did, but the, the shaping of the book, um, and really the finalizing the book came, came after Old Abe. Um, so, uh, you know, it was, it was every much, a, as much of a joy to write for me as uh, as old Abe was. And I really love this part of uh, this part of Lincoln's life. So one quick observation, we're talking with uh,
1: John Cribb again. His book is from Republic Book Publishers. It's called The Rail Splitter, a novel of Abraham Lincoln. Fantastic uh, and uh, really entertaining. A couple observations. Uh, I I don't recall uh, old Abe as moving along as briskly in the sense that you had more you had more years to cover. I know that, you know, 1826 all the way through 1859 so nice. you got to cover more ground. But I actually and, I, and I'm, I'm attuned to it. Um, the, the chapters to me, they're, I think they're shorter. You can tell me um, and meaning that they really move. And I, I think I've told you before Martin Dugard, who wrote the Killing Books with O'Reilly, but Bill O'Reilly and now has written a series of books himself has all of his books now are really three to five pages per chapter and they really move along. And I felt like oh, uh, 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 that the Rail Splitter really moved along, John. I don't know if that was an intentional, but It really seemed to hum along and you had a lot of
3: ground to cover. So it worked well. Well, I, I cannot tell you how pleased I am to hear you say that because that's thing that one thing that you know, kind of worried me was that um, in, in approaching this book that it is a much longer time yeah, span. It's over yeah. three decades, whereas Old Abe is just five years, yep. and so uh, I didn't, yeah, I didn't want it to, to be to drag out. Um, but I guess maybe it moves because I I have to move quickly because I'm covering thirty years. Right. You're right about the chapters. My aim uh, with both books was to try to, to hold the chapters to two thousand words or under, if I could. Um, um, sometimes they go longer, but for example, that first chapter in the Rail Splitter, I, I'm guessing is only probably 900 words or something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, yep, there are yep, some short yep. chapters in it. It is yeah. well,
1: and 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 uh, Dugard said he stole that from, uh, the technique from uh, James Patterson, the novelist, who who he had he had done some ghostwriting or whatever, a part, uh, a partnering with him, and and he wrote like, okay, substantive questions. Uh, uh, John again, John Cribb is our guest, The Rail Splitter, at the end of the book. 1859 i i mean i'm not a lincoln um guy i know i sent you a photograph in december i was actually in southern illinois at a courthouse and of course everywhere in illinois especially down south towards where alton where they did the uh lincoln douglas debate and this was in madison county there's always there's a plaque here there's a this there where lincoln was i'm very proud but um but i i I just i'm not i'm not as as attuned this this guy the uh jesse fell and and his and his brother cursey fell i know i mean it's history novel so i know you're not making it up but how how um how accurate is that i mean what was the story with the fells i mean it sounds it's it's almost like one of these um you know deus ex machina if it w- w- weren't for the fells writing this up maybe it doesn't happen
3: yeah who knows maybe it doesn't jesse fell was certainly not the only one i think who who said to lincoln hey you ought to run for president i mean other people told him that but jesse fell was uh, one and he was a close advisor um who who came to lincoln and said you really need to run for president and at first uh lincoln brushes him off and says oh you're crazy um but then you know but and, and fell is asking him for him he, he's he's saying you know we can do this I, what i need from you is a short biographical sketch that i can uh you know put into shape and put in front of editors to really get your name out there and lincoln uh resists at first and then but at the very end of the book it's uh, you know you'll well like i guess i don't want to give away the yeah, end of yeah. that yeah. <laughs> yeah uh and and I, I should i should tell your listeners that this this book um you know in old age we know what is going to happen at the end of that book i mean we everybody knows that lincoln's going to die in the end uh this book is is different in that it is really part one of a two-part series that that you know i've written uh after i wrote the second book in the series but it is um you know it is a story of abraham lincoln you know his life before he he runs for president um and one reason I wrote it was because uh, my grandfather said to me long ago, he said, uh, if you want to know the man, you really have to know and understand the, the boy first. In other words, mm-hmm. if you really want to know somebody, you've got to know something about their past and where they came from and something about their youth and what, you know, what kind of things made them who they, who they are. And that's what this book is. It's the making of Abraham Lincoln.
1: Um, John Cribb is our guest. John, I, I don't want to let go for one second, though, to make a point that uh, struck me is, um, in that period where you didn't have a national press the same way. I mean, you had, you had correspondence and things, but when uh, Jesse fell and his brother, um, uh, Kersey fell, the, 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 my point here is that, Somebody had to spread the word. Um, yeah. You know, you can say like, "Oh, um, you know, Hearst, Hearst wanted to be a kingmaker, or Rupert Murdoch, or CNN, or whatever." And that's all true, but it, it's kind of true whenever you, wherever uh, you were. I mean, you, the the um, one of the things that Fell describes in your book here in the in the uh, Rail Splitter is that uh, they had published a lot of the um, of the Lincoln Douglas debates. So there were people that were asking, "Who who are these two? You know, what, what's the deal?" And one was a senator, Doug. So that wasn't hard to figure out. People could say, "Well, he's in the Senate." The other guy was not doing anything at that point, right? So it was a um, that was a big step to, to promote that. Um, I, and so I just wanted to say that. But I want to go on to one other one a- other aspect, uh, John. A lot of attention in the last uh, couple of weeks. New Congress. Um, Abe Lincoln went to Congress, but he always intended to serve for one term. I've never understood that. And when I read about it in your book, you know, he goes out to, to Washington. I think with with, um his wife um so there's this yeah there's this image of him getting there and then yeah but, i don't know you didn't really get much done right it wasn't like he was clothed in uh glory in his term why did he only run once and and why didn't he stay longer and am i wrong in saying nah, there wasn't much
3: there yeah you're right uh on all those counts. Um, he never really intended to be there more than one term. Uh, you know, back then, people didn't approach uh, being a congressman as a career, you know, career long <laughs> right. move the way right. they do. And that was the only safe wig seat. In Illinois, and so the Whigs were basically taking turns holding that seat, um, and so uh, Lincoln's friends, for example, um, uh, his his first law partner, John Todd Stewart, had held it. Uh, his uh, friend Edward Baker had held it. Uh, his uh colleague uh, associate John Harden had held it so it was kind of Lincoln's uh turn oh, and sorry. so he really wasn't intending to be there for more than one one term but it did he did not cover himself in glory as you as you say and he came home disappointed because um he uh the, the 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 election that, that came after him, the Democrats won the seat. Um, and partly, it was a negative reaction to Lincoln's stance on the Mexican-American War. He had really uh, attacked President Polk for it. And that had turned some people off in Illinois. And a lot of the Whigs were, were put out with Lincoln about it. So and, you know, he really hadn't done anything p- particularly remarkable during that term. And so when he came back to, to, to Springfield after that term, he really kind of thought he was... Up um, as a politician, he he said at one point, "That's probably the last time I'll I'll hold public office." And then he does, you know, he doesn't run for office again until um, after until uh, 1854, really early January 1855, after the Kansas-Nebraska Act is passed, and that kind of energizes him to jump back into politics for a long time though he just practices law he has a hand in politics but he kind of thinks that he's probably washed up as a, as, as far as holding office mm-hmm. goes after that congressional term
1: uh, John Cribb the book is The Rail Splitter a novel of Abe Lincoln um, he is also Abraham Lincoln he's also the author of Old Abe the bo- both books come from Republic Book Publishers this one The Rail Splitter comes out on uh, January uh, 24th um, by now John you know uh, Abe Lincoln as well as as many, many people and at least historical, right? You know, I mean, obviously his family or somebody knew him, but you've now written, read all this stuff. Um, what's what's a, what's a is there a flaw? Is there a character flaw or a shortcoming in Lincoln? Was he disorganized and, and was he forgetful? Was he how would you say what would be the thing? Because everybody says all the things he was. He was uh, industrious and he didn't let things bother him and he did any other. What,
3: what, what was the shortcoming? Well, he um, he's definitely disorganized in Final. some ways. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know, he uh, his office was famously disorganized. And <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, he kept a stack of papers near his desk saying, if you can't find it anyplace else, look here. Right. And uh, at one point, there was a young young fellow was clerking in their office and he decided to clean it up and it was so dirty he found piles of dirt in the corner and seeds that sprouted in them and plants were growing out of them and you know and you kind of think the the man who's arguably the greatest president of the united states could have done a better job of keeping his office (laughs) clean and organized but you know um he was um He was, uh, you know, moody was for one thing. I mean, I think Lincoln, you know, that famous kind of split sides of his personality could be the jovial, laughing um, uh, storytelling Lincoln. And then, you know, uh, in in a second, he could turn and be very moody and withdrawn. And, you know, that I think he was a hard. Uh, person to live with um, I think that's something Mary, Mary Lincoln had, had to cope with um, and that would not have been easy of course she wasn't an easy person to live with I think um, either and there were uh, people that knew him who said that he could be cold and some people said that when he needed you you know he was like your friend and then after he was done with you you know maybe you wouldn't hear from him again for quite a while now that's some, I, I, I think an uh, it was leveled to just about every politician in the world right, so right. I'm, I'm not so sure how serious right. to take yeah, that yeah, yeah. so but you know he was human when um, when he was young uh, as you know from reading The Rail Splitter he was in a very bad habit of attacking opponents in newspapers in fairly you know sometimes mean-spirited ways in letters to the editor and articles and, and worse they would be anonymous he wouldn't even sign his own name he would, he would use a fake name and he got into to, to big trouble once when he attacked a political opponent named uh jamie shields and he wrote these letters that were insulting and he signed them rebecca he used a woman's name and before he knew it he was uh he had been challenged to a duel he was standing uh on a dueling field on a little island called bloody island and with a sword in his hand getting ready to having to fight this guy with a broadsword in a in a duel uh because he had made such a mess of things and uh i'll i'll let your view your <laughs> listeners if they want to if they want to read the book they can find out what happened with that wow. um so he was human and um like everybody else and but but um, and, but in the main you know i think he really had a magnificent character, uh. Overall, he's just a man of, I think, really, really fine character, which is which is one reason that we've admired him in history uh, for so long.
1: Right. Well, and um, yeah. And of course, um, the mystery of his life ending so abruptly and what, what what could have happened, what would have happened. It's almost like um, uh, JFK. You know, you wonder how how it would have uh, would have turned out. And uh, in, in, but all right, John Cribb. Well, we, we we know how that turned out now. So there's uh, The Rail Splitter, a novel of Abraham Lincoln out on January twenty. Uh, 24th john crib republic book publishers it's the uh, prequel uh, to old abe and they're great together so thanks john congratulations and i won't ask you yet because i'll have you back on again in the next uh, few weeks or so and i will ask you then about the next book that's coming i don't want to i don't want to put pressure on you now you got to revel celebrate what you've done so congratulations Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. I'll put it up on social media. All the links to it. It's really good. It's really good. It's a great way to understand Lincoln, uh, to read both of these books. And it's just really good reading. I love to read and I love to read to relax. And this is a great. These are great. The Rail Splitter with John Cribb. Okay, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment.
0: This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative perspective since 1983, continuing the legacy of phyllis schlafly and now from the archives of phyllis schlafly eagles here is phyllis schlafly
4: hundreds of billions of dollars are spent annually on public school education yet millions of students who attend public schools are not even being taught how to read lawsuits have tried to force states to spend more on public education but it's obvious that the real problem is not a lack of money It doesn't cost much to teach someone how to read using phonics. Perhaps some politicians prefer an illiterate population that votes the way they're told to vote on Election Day. Michigan, like most states, fails to teach many students how to read in public school. But unlike many states, most of the funding for public schools in Michigan comes from the state rather than local governments. The Michigan Constitution requires that the means of education shall forever be encouraged and establishes that the legislature shall maintain and support a system of free elementary and secondary schools. The ACLU sued in state court, claiming that students receive an inadequate public education in violation of the Michigan Constitution. The Michigan Court of Appeals rejected that lawsuit and ruled that the Michigan Constitution leaves the actual intricacies of the delivery of specific education services to the local school districts. The court emphasized, all that can properly be expected of the state is that it maintain and support a system of public schools that furnishes adequate educational services to all children. Now, the good news is that a Michigan appellate court has declined an invitation to engage in judicial activism, interpreting the Michigan Constitution narrowly. The bad news is that Michigan children will be stuck with failing scores on exams without any accountability for the public schools. The most important task of elementary schools is to teach children how to read.
0: Parents and grandparents jumpstart the education of that child you love so much with a proven phonics course. With TurboReader, anyone at any age can learn to read. For free information on Phyllis Schlafly's Turbo Reader, call toll-free 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Open the door to a lifetime of reading and self-motivation. Call 1-866-TRY-TURBO. Thanks for listening and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a pro America report. Hey, one more thing on that uh, list of uh, requests that I said earlier. I, I This is a big one to me. Uh, people need to thank Speaker McCarthy because Speaker McCarthy made the deals and he's already living up to it. He's already living up to it. Speaker Kevin McCarthy. He, I'm not saying he liked every aspect of the deals. I think he probably was frustrated by some of the negative, uh, things that were said, but he played big league ball and he, he didn't look like he was angry. He didn't look like he looked cool as the other side of the pillow, as they say. And he, um, he's living up to the deal. His rules, uh, that he's done and who he's put in different places. Um, I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic. A lot of reason to be optimistic. Sometimes. A leader wants to have to make a deal because it gives him a reason to get where he wants to be. And or if he has to get where he's going to be, he can be happy there. He doesn't have to be pissed. It didn't feel like John Boehner was ever happy to be where he got. It didn't feel like Paul Ryan was ever really happy to be where he got. Meaning he got, he had to take, uh, he had, the both of them had to deal and make, uh, make, uh, compromises with the people in their caucus. And it didn't feel like they ever got comfortable. Kevin McCarthy, I think, is comfortable with being a leader. It's a great skill. It reminds me of Gingrich. Gingrich was like that. And actually, it reminds me of Pelosi, although she didn't have to give in much. She was able to get whatever she wanted a lot. But you know, uh, Gingrich, Gingrich was really good at that. He did a good job of, uh, kind of making, uh, making it do with what he had. So, uh, very positive thing. So thank you to Speaker Kevin McCarthy. All right. That's the last on this. We'll keep working on it. Um, hey, um, don't forget. Don't forget. Uh, I'll add that to the list. I'm going to add that to the list. I'm going to make sure that my guys add uh, Speaker McCarthy to it. And we will uh, be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin. Thank you, as always, to Noah Dingley. Thank you to Ryan Haidt. Thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.